So we live in chaotic times. Mm. Uh, we always have lived in chaotic times. Uh, and yet, uh, by and large, we've been able to impose a certain human um, linear mentality and psychology and uh, technology onto organic, chaotic experience. So if you look at the world of nature, the weather's flowing, coming and going, there's so many different forces at play. You look at a river, it's not a canal, it's not straight, it's not orderly. You look at materiality as a natural um, experience, it's kind of, we call it chaotic. And that's that's seen as negative <laughs> from a human position. We call it chaos because it's it's not the order that we favour. And so this favouring, we create straight lines, we create things called times with precise hours, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and so on. Um, we create systems and structures to make life orderly. And we become, we operate within those boundaries. And we get quite upset and disoriented if those boundaries of time and place and order are challenged or, or um, knocked down, you know, by, by reality, like called aging, sickness, death. What an inconvenience. I wasn't, you know, I, I haven't got time to do that now. <laughs> I'm too busy to be sick. Um, you know, we can't do things in our customary way because, you know, say the train's broken down or there's a cow on the on the railway line or, in other words, natural experience happened to collide with the human construction. And we get irritated and disoriented when these things happen. Yeah. Also, we get with that superimposing of a human-based order, we become... Inflexible, uh, you know, we we lose some of our agility because we've learned to operate straight lines. This time of day, this place, switch this on that works, and without it, we're lost. Yeah, but then in order to bring around that kind of human reality, what do you have to do? You have to exert quality dominating, or influence on the natural world and we begin to see the results of human construction on the natural world um, you know you put a line on a piece of earth and say that belongs to this country that belongs to that country right there's no line there there's no such thing as a french tree and an italian tree it's just, you know, they don't know anything about nobody asks them about that we create these lines and then this belongs to that, that belongs to this. Things belong to the human order, right? How true is that? They didn't know anything about it. You know, the animals and the trees and the weather didn't know anything about Italy, France, Germany, Spain. It just yeah. So we operate within that restriction, a restriction of a national boundary, correct? Yeah. What does that create? Competition, conflict, um, friction of some kind or another, boundaries and barriers between people, wars, of course, right? nationalism, wars. This is just one example of the placing of human structure 
onto experience and the placing of that structure not being based upon goodwill or <laughs> um, true appreciation of what's actually there, yeah. uh, wishing to live in harmony with what's there, the attitude is to dominate what's there, to make it work the way I want it. Yeah. And once that's done, then we can operate within that. How do we operate within that? We create social structures, right? Classes, castes, top, bottom. Every country has them, whether they're based upon money, on ethnicity, on birth, on religion. You've got structures which are comparing and contrasting and challenging and resenting and fearing and controlling each other. Same sort of thing happens. Not seeing each other just as fellow beings. Yeah. This is one of these ism things, isn't it? As soon as you put an ism, you get racism, you get Buddhism, you get liberalism, you get conservatism, and then, you know, sooner or later, somebody's going to get hurt. For sure. Human structures. Social structures. We place them on ourselves. The structure of what, uh, we have an idea of what a a life is supposed to be, you know, it's going to be from the age of da-da-da till this age, you go to school and you're, you know, you're an infant. And in this age, you go out and work and you get married at this age and so forth. Um, very much a structured life. And, you sh and your life is basically geared, most people's lives are geared primarily around a few points, work being one of them, um, very important thing. What are you? I'm a plumber. I'm a motor mechanic. I'm a therapist. You know, definitely that's what I am. Yeah. That's a structure. Um, so we live within these boundaries of ourselves. And so often these boundaries mean that the therapist doesn't know how to talk to a plumber. What were you talking about? <laughs> computer mechanic, computer engineer. How do they talk to botanists? You know, the more obviously people are not that bounded, but you can see how this filtering around work, uh, around um, money, big one. You can't go there because you don't have enough money to go to that place. This is only for people with a lot of money who can go to that place. To come in here, you've got to pay money. So money's a big thing. Property. Hold, household, my place, yeah? security, territory, ownership, and the worry and the stress that that creates. Um, and we create all sorts of structures internally. Um, uh, the primary, you could say, this, the summary of the structure that the restricted structure that we impose upon our own hearts is called myself. It's a complex structure, uh, but the primary uh, atmosphere lives in isolation and a certain fear or uncertainty and isolation. I am me, she is her, uh, how, this, what, how are we going to, what is she, what do I think about her, what does she think about me, what does she think I think, oh, 
you know, anxiety. So we do a lot of things to try to get over that anxiety. There can be, of course, distaste for the other person. I don't like the way he looks. Um, she's a bit rude, isn't she? Um, or am I, am I looking good enough for him or her? So it's stress, essentially. Uh, relational stress. Misunderstandings. Relational stress. We assume. Well, I think this, so everybody else surely thinks that. My idea is this, everybody else surely understands that. My opinion is, mine is, I see things quite clearly. I've summed everything up, I know what you're about, and that's it, got that clear. <laughs> From the consulting one person, that is your own mind. So this self-structure and isolation and um, anxiety, over one it has with others, then a need to to be, you know, clear and and um, on top of things or not underneath everything, disorientation, relational disorientation. Um, once in a sense of isolation, there could be. Oh, I want to be with somebody. I want to be with somebody. I need to be with somebody. I need to be. Oh, please, can I be with you? Oh, that's nice. Can I be with you? Oh, it's so nice to be with him. So you get this kind of pulling together, and then you know what happens. Quite uh, preoccupation, human preoccupation, very much absorbed into exchange of energies and moods and feeling and emotion, and then loss. Oh no. Where did he go? Where did she go? Oh, oh dear. Yeah. Stress. Dukkha. And um, this is the restrictions of chitta so normalized and so ingrained in our behavior, in our baseline, is one of the separate self living in a separate place from separate other beings bounded by age, bounded by sickness, death, she's gone, I will die, bounded by separation, bounded by nationality, bounded by gender, <laughs> you know, and then on a bigger level, nations living, people separate from each other within a certain country and from one country to another, and then separated from the rest of the earth, the planet, which we just sit on top of and are not very respectful at all. Respect is not, not an attitude towards the planet. Yeah. It's there to feed us, that's it. So around those restrictions, various kinds of anxiety, stress, suffering, passion, greed, to absorb the other, to consume the other, to feel, uh, to lean on the other, to cling to the other, to cling to one's opinions and views, uh, to cling to one's notion of oneself, I, even if it's not a very pleasant notion of oneself, most people's notions of themselves are not very pleasant at all. And yet, that's the baseline, that clung to experience of what I am, my moods, my feelings, my, my ideas, my interpretations, stick to it. And it's not even a decision, it's a reflex to restrict one's beautiful, open, sensitive awareness to a set of assumptions and emotional habits and call that myself as my baseline <laughs> and if you review them you realize they're going up and down all the time aren't they 
you're emotional. Now I'm feeling good, now I'm feeling not so good. Now I'm feeling welcome, now I'm not feeling welcome. Now I'm feeling a bit nervous, now I'm feeling happy, now I'm feeling loved, now I'm feeling not loved. Now I'm getting angry about so-and-so, I'm frightened of so-and-so, I'm passionate about so-and-so. So, and you want to make that your baseline? <laughs> I mean, okay, I, I, I know what you feel, I know what you're talking, I know what we're talking about. That, that experience is, is standard, but you don't want to try to create that as a foundation and then putting things into it to make it so that that wobbling will come to some kind of reasonably happy wobble. <laughs> if I get the good stuff, the good feeling, the good feedback, the good this, the good that, the cinnamon bun, the instant Wi-Fi, the perfect partner, the wonderful room, the great view, then it doesn't, does it? Still totters around because this broke down and then she said this unpleasant thing to me and then this turned up stale and this didn't work and now you know we can of course lament over our emotional ups and downs and try to really get it sorted out and steadied out Get into yourself and argue with yourself and bully yourself and chastise yourself and prop yourself and and if that means blaming somebody else for the way you are, do that. I'm like this because of what my father, my mother, my partner did or didn't do. So where does that leave you, right? Resentment, guilt. I'm like this because of what I did five years ago. Resentment, guilt. Where does that leave you? Tottering up and down, wobbling around, still involved in the whole constricted package. So, and so you start to just even be a little bit reasonable. Like, but that happened five years ago. Why is that, why is it bothering me now? If it's something he said yesterday, why is it my mind is still, heart is still jumbling up and down with it? Because, you know, the self-view is always saying everything that I see is about me. The past is about me. The future is about me. Other people are about me. Hmm? Yeah. So anything that's happened anywhere is about me. Anything I've been aware of is about some sense of self-definition. Anything that's happened that I've seen other people be is about self-definition. If they're doing great things, I'm thinking, oh, I can't do that. Yeah. If somebody's wonderful being like the Buddha, oh, I can't be as good as that. Self-reference, right? Somebody's doing terrible things. Oh, what are they doing that for? Then I, I can condemn them. I can judge them. Because I'm here, I can... It's all about... My opinion is... I'm going to have an opinion about that. Then, you know, anything somebody says to me, it's going to be... My interpretation of what they said is the one that counts. It's all about me. Yeah. And if that worked, 
great. But it doesn't work. This gets snarled up with a litany, a history of grievances and missed opportunities and loss and mistrust people do. Now the problem isn't actually the mental content, though the mental content, the heart content, is the most disturbing thing that we really feel. That's where it's happening, that's where the pressure is heaving up, generating these mind objects. Clearly something happened in the past five years ago. If it's in the past, it's no longer that event, it's your mental perception of it, right? So it's the present moment mind perceptions and activations and emotions that are, that's what that event is. Right? This is the only way, the absolutely only way that you could be clearly, coolly and dispassionately free from the pressure of the past, from the pressure of other people from the pressure of your self-view of yourself through understanding it's just the mind doing something now. This is what Buddhist cultivation is about. It's not saying things didn't happen. It's not saying there was no injustice. It's not saying people were fair. It's not saying any of that. But what it's saying is you cannot cure history. You cannot cure history. You cannot call the horrors that human beings have created to each other. Personally, socially, relationally, environmentally, internationally. You can't cure it. it. It's happened. But what you could do is stop creating more of it. Stop being a participant in that. And you do that right now by clearing, clearing, and this is not about a cosmetic job, this is not about, you know, pritting something up, it's about clearing the obscurations and the confusion and the restriction of the jitta. image if you like you know if you can imagine something like a, a a vast ocean of water pretty boundless then you get a, a hose pipe and you try to push that ocean of water through a hose pipe what do you think the water is going to come out like churning high pressure right you think, oh, this water is so turbulent. I'm trying to stop this water being so turbulent. Flatten it down, you know. Well, they're saying, well, no. If you put it in a hose pipe, it's bound to come out that way because the hose pipe is much too narrow. If you try to put an ocean into a hose pipe, it's bound to come out turbulent, isn't it? What happens if you didn't put it in the hose pipe wouldn't the ocean have the tendency just to settle to its natural boundary? Because we place these artificial boundaries on the chitta, the jitta is compressed. 
therefore it's turbulent. Therefore, it's, it, the stresses that happen cannot be released because the jitter is too tight. It can't release. It doesn't know how to release. It only knows how to agitate. And the general reaction of the unawakened jitter is when things get tight, tighten up even more. When you're under pressure, tighten up even more. When you're under pressure, start holding on to an opinion, a view. Start holding on to right and wrong. Start holding on to control. Start holding on to self and other. In other words, the reflex is to go to the restricted state and make it even more restricted in order to try and control it and calm it down. Meditate, you know, get control on top of your jitta and calm the thing down. Place more restriction. Because it gives us a sense of firmness for the unawakened jitta. This is where firmness, some kind of firmness arises. But it's, it's the wrong baseline. You know, you look at any kind of suffering that you experience. Isn't there somewhere a voice about me in that? Me and mine. Yeah. And it gets intense, doesn't it? Say, earthquake in China or somewhere 5,000 miles away. Maybe you're living in China, 5,000 miles away. Oh dear. That's a shame. My dog gets sick. Oh no, Popsy. Oh no, 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 mine. <laughs> you can feel more suffering over your dog getting sick than having you know, 150 people die in an earthquake on the other side of the planet because they're not mine. So this is the restriction. And we'll talk about that in some detail. Um, but the theme and this is uh, saying the word of the Buddha the Tathagata dwells with unrestricted awareness unrestricted chitta unrestricted by ten things he is unrestricted by form unrestricted by feeling chitta is unrestricted by perception unrestricted by mental formations and activities unrestricted by consciousness. The Tathagata dwells with unrestricted awareness, freed, disconnected, liberated. The Tathagata dwells unrestricted by birth, that is coming into a finite identity, unrestricted by ageing, decay and death, unrestricted by dukkha, unrestricted by defilement. The Tathagata dwells in unrestricted awareness. Okay? Unrestricted, Vimarikatena. Interesting word. You don't see it very often. Right in the middle of that word, you've got the word Mara. Amara, deathless. Yeah. Mara, death. Mara, lord of delusion. Mara, the lord of doubt. Mara, the lord of defilement. The host of Mara, boredom, resentment, 
lethargy, despair, passion, lust, craving, fear, a host of Mara. And those are the ones that generate the restrictions. And you can sense those. And what are the basis of those energies? Form. One feels passion for form. One feels distaste for form. One is limited by form. One identifies with form. Feeling. Pleasant feeling, painful feeling. One is pressurised by feeling. Driven out by pleasant feeling. Oh, pushed back by unpleasant feeling. Oh, one is restricted. One's movement of jitta is pushed around by feeling. Restricted by perception. I am only this. She is one of those. Therefore, restricted by perception. He doesn't like me. Restricted by perceptions. Yeah. It shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be. That's a perception. It should be like this. That's a perception. Dwelling with these, one dwells in stress. Restricted. Yeah. Yes, even you can imagine coming into this very Zoom room. Well, you know, you may think, well, where are we? And and it's so we start with just a little bit of chaos. Get used to it. Life is chaotic. Now we may have got used to the idea of you know retreat center, you know, da, 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 doorway, rules on a list, and receptionist or somebody that receives you, quiet place, room on your own, little box, cubicle, sit there, and so forth. Well, that, yeah, well, how real is that? The Buddha didn't live with that. He got enlightened in the forest. Things are not polite, tidy, comfortable, easy, cool. No air conditioning. Uh, sounds, animals, monkeys, howling, chaos. But you go in there with it shouldn't be this way. <laughs> That's a perception. Restricted. Just let it be as it is. Internally. Let it be as it is. Restricted by mental formations, these are the activations, the triggerings that occur when feeling and perception hits us. Yeah, when we feel abused or disliked or appreciated or we feel everybody needs me or I'm left out, included, excluded, right? then what happens? We get triggered. <laughs> And there's a whole cascade of these mental formations. And they, you can feel yourself getting triggered by, it's 10 o'clock, it's 6 o'clock, I've got to do that. And you're pushed along, restricted by it. And some of these mental formations are extremely distasteful. You know, guilt, um, I'm triggered by that. Feeling of inferiority, triggered by that. Feeling of lonely, left alone, abandoned, very painful, mental formation. It's not your fault. But it's something you have to come to terms with. Now the jitta has been confused and led astray and hoodwinked by these mental formations, sankara. 
the two targeter is seen through it, he's not restricted. All his mental formations obey his jit that they don't poke it, kick it around. Consciousness, restricted by consciousness. Uh, what does that mean? It means that we can only see so many things. Our vision is limited. Uh, even the kind of visual range of a human being is not like an eagle or a butterfly. Here in sense consciousness is pretty restricted. And we assume the only things that exist, only things that exist, exist, which, well, the only things that exist are the things that I can see, hear, touch, or conceive of. Have nothing else exists apart from that. This is the arrogance of the human being. The scientific arrogance, if it can't be measured, it doesn't exist. If I can't get a machine to figure it out, it doesn't occur. And we've begun to see through some of the, you know, quantum, so forth. You know, every, every new discovery is, oh, we didn't know that before. But you thought you did, didn't you? <laughs> we thought we had it all clear. And then, oops, because the mind hadn't been able to conceive it. And there's a notion that if you just build up enough knowledge, you would get to the place where the human mind would be able to encompass it all. Doesn't happen. Never happened. Never happened so far. Isn't going to happen. Because the human mind is operating in a restricted mode to grab and restrict things that cannot fit into restrictions. The Buddha has abandoned that. So this is, um, these are called the five aggregates. Form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. Right. Rupa, form, Vedana, feeling, Sanya, perception, mental formations, Sankara, and consciousness, Vijnana. And I might refer to those Pali words just because the English words mean all kinds of different things to different people. And they're not even, I mean, thanks to the translators greatly, but often the translators have different ways of translating these words because, again, experience cannot be put into finite words that's, that pertain in time. It doesn't happen that way. But this is not a bad attempt. In fact, it's a brilliant attempt by the Buddha, and he's the only one to talk this, the five aggregates. So you can scroll through birth, aging, death, and so forth, <laughs> suffering, which means the inevitable unsatisfactoriness of conditioned phenomena. That's a nice piece of Buddhist jargon for you, but nothing finally works. <laughs> Everything breaks down, things tend to decay, things don't quite fit, uh, even the good things tend to pass. This is all dukkha. And defilement means the particular personal foibles and, and ways we get obsessed with particular sights, sounds, touches, flavours, memories. And the mind gets restricted by those. And the whole fundamental issue for human beings, they don't even realise that their mind is restricted. Because we don't know what unrestricted feels like. So the idea is to get the good restriction. If I get that particular piece of food, I'll be so happy. Yeah, defilement. Yeah, I'm miserable. That's very puritanical to say 
No, it's not. It's just, you know, so we justify that defilement saying this makes me feel good. It's my right to have this. You're judgmental, you know, about this. I have every right to have this food when I want it. Because it makes you feel good. It does. For 10 seconds, two minutes. Get it? Um, so this, the unawakened mind searches for the restricting influence, thinking this will give me control and happiness. And that control and happiness it, do, it does give to a degree is associated with defilement, stress. Defilement means not some moral blame, it means the mind's potential is filed down to a very narrow scope. The mind's potential for happiness is narrowed down to one or two things that are extremely fleeting and contingent upon good luck. That's called defilement. It means the natural breadth of the mind is whittled down to a spindly <laughs> channel. So, unrestricted. Everywhere is okay. Everybody is okay. Everything is okay. Yeah. It can be as it is. Yeah. My mind is not restricted. Now, in this meditation retreat, so that gives you some, perhaps, places the overall sense of what I'm talking about. We do some meditation, but I'd like you to just really almost write down you don't, unless you're a Buddha. <laughs> On our hand, you don't you don't recognise where the restrictions are. I don't recognise where they are. This is not a personal statement, because when the mind is in its restriction, if it was justified, if it was happy, if it was getting what it wants, and we don't see that as a restriction. Yeah. We don't realise how narrow we've got, how obsessive we've got, how compulsive we've got, because at that particular moment we're feeding on the content and we conditioned to believe that's the only way to operate for happiness comfort security dignity and so on so we don't see it why don't we see it because the flush flush of washes over the chitta and the chitta is oh. it could be the flush of pleasure it could be the flush of rage flushes over and we, we don't realize then it becomes object is causing that object is causing that pleasure pain object is doing it to me <laughs> well it's an object how did it get in here no say the sight of the object my interpretation of that person, my perception of what's right and wrong, my perception of what's right and wrong, is getting into me. Of course it is. Because that's where it came from. So we need to really own that. And, and Because in this way then we could, I cannot sort everybody else out, but I could possibly with a, some practice begin to sort this one out 
And if I did that, I'd feel happier. And I think my presence in the world would perhaps be at least not, not so much of a problem as it was. <laughs> so, let's take a little... Uh, do you want to stretch your legs or whatever you're doing in your, in your place? Um, freshen up. Take a couple of minutes... Um, so move around or loosen up a little bit and I'll just keep reminding you of you know the opportunity to use your own dwelling, link it to everyone else, try to, in fact, strangely enough, in order to develop the unrestricted, we begin to restrict our normal template, which itself is a restriction. So we, we begin to nullify the restrictions of time, place, environment by generating a communal um, domain. Started with ethics, we try to bring that into commitment um, as best you can. I really encourage you to try. You know, I realize your time zones are all over the place. Carve out the time. Don't let the numbers on the clock rule you. Don't let the light in the sky rule you. So you're coming out of that restriction and meditation. So try to make this this uh, uh, a good resolution for the retreat. Just a few minutes just to digest anything that's useful there. <clears throat> 